When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. This episode of the Birdshot Podcast is presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. On this episode of the show, we head north to Alaska once again. We're talking shark tales with Jim McCann. Thanks for tuning in to episode number 189. All right, welcome back to the Birdshot Podcast, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode. We have a great show coming up for you with Jim McCann, former guest of the show from back in 2018, and we're going to talk to Jim once again in just a moment. Thank you to Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast. As promised, I do have an August winner to announce, and that would be Gray from Texas, our first ever, as far as I know, repeat winner of the Patreon monthly giveaways. Gray has been a contributor for some time now. I guess that just goes to show it pays to be a loyal Patreon contributor to the Birdshot Podcast. I thank all of you for your continued support, and I was a little late getting in touch with Gray about his choice of the Final Rise Vest or the First Light Sawbuck Brush Pants or an Onyx Elite subscription card. I'm racing around like crazy this week trying to get a bunch of stuff done before... I leave for my prairie hunting trip this upcoming Saturday, so I do not yet know which item Gray is going to be choosing, but just know that two of those three choices will still be available for the September winner of the giveaway. And as a quick reminder, all Patreon patrons of the Birdshot Podcast are eligible for those monthly giveaways, discount offers from partners on the podcast, and 
for a few more days at least the bird shop podcast merchandise we have available we save 10 percent from upland institute gumleaf usa and on the bird shop podcast merchandise you'll get bonus content when that is available i'll be recording my third bonus episode with nick adair of the gun dog at yourself podcast tomorrow evening that'll be up later this month and you can sign up for as low as five bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash bird shot all right don't forget to rate review subscribe like share follow Whatever options you have available in the podcast player you are listening to the show on just takes a moment of your time, and it goes a long way in continuing to help and support the Birdshot podcast. As always, thank you for considering that. All right, at some point during this episode of the show, you might hear an ad for Upland Institute, the video dog training series created and produced by Justin McGrail and Ron Bame. And I just wanted to mention that briefly and let you all know, you've heard me mention it many times before, but the question and answer episodes done by Ron Bame and Justin McGrail on Ron's podcast, the Honey Dog Podcast, always some of my favorite dog training episodes. And they just put out another one just in time for hunting season. I know Ron always gets a ton of requests for those episodes and and they never, ever disappoint Justin's thorough and practical, straightforward approach to addressing questions, explaining techniques and tactics is very, very unique. Not something that very many people are capable of, in my opinion. And I always learn a lot from those episodes. So just wanted to mention that Upland Institute, great video series that expands on many of the things that you'll hear Justin talk about in those episodes, while of course, adding a video component to that, which is even more helpful when it comes to dog training, timing, seeing how things work. And for Patreon patrons, you of course can get a discount on those videos from Upland Institute. But for anybody else, if you're thinking you need a little bit more help, guidance when it comes to training dogs, check out those videos. And don't forget about those podcast episodes on the Hunting Dog Podcast, a great starting point. And if you were to go back and listen to all of those, the amount of information crammed into those six, seven, eight, I don't know how many episodes they've done over the years, but there's a bunch of them. There is a lot of information crammed into those Q&A episodes. And I did want to mention that I've still got to set this up with Ron and Justin, but hopefully at some point, we can get Justin and maybe Ron both on the show to do a Q&A over here on the Birdshot podcast. I think that would be fun. And I thought maybe we could put a slightly different spin on it and make it a very, very hunting-focused Q&A with Justin and Ron, if that makes any sense. As you're out in the field hunting with your dogs over these next couple of months and things come up, you see a weird interaction with a dog and a bird, not sure what's going on. Things that happen, training examples in the field, or questions that come to mind as you're out hunting. Gather those up and send them to me, nick at birdshotpodcast.com. Put dog training or dog Q&A or something in the subject line, and I will gather those up, and we'll see about getting Justin back on the show to answer some hunting-specific questions about birds, dogs, and the interaction between the two. Feel free to throw in other questions as well, but I thought putting a little bit of a hunting theme on it would be unique and something fun we could do on the Birdshot podcast. So share your thoughts and questions with me, and we'll make that happen. All right, one final reminder. You've got a few days left until September 12th to snag some of the Birdshot podcast merchandise we've got available via a limited time pop-up store. You can find that link in the show notes on this episode. You can always go to the website, birdshotpodcast.com. It's a post or two down. Find it there. I've heard from a lot of people that have grabbed a t-shirt, hat already. Feedback on the J. Dowd custom artwork t-shirt has been very good as expected. That's going to be available, like I said, a few more days until September 12th, at which point the store will close. And Tim from Howlers Inc. has been helping us out with this. We'll order everything up, print it, 
package it up, ship it, fulfill all of those orders as soon as he can after the store closes again on September 12th. So last chance, birdshotpodcast.com or the link in the show notes. Check it out. A few items, t-shirts, hats, hoodie. Thanks for checking that out. Okay, as I mentioned, I'm leaving in about three days for my first hunt of the year. Can't wait. Been seeing lots of photos and getting updates from friends and listeners already out in the field. I am happy for all of you. Somewhat envious, but I've been real busy around here. That's okay. I will be out there soon enough. So it's been fun getting a few scouting reports from folks already out in the field. And I've got sharp tails and huns on the mind. Based on my conversation with the guest you heard last week, Andy Wayman, he gave me a whole list of books of authors that covered sharp tails, one of them being Jim McCann, another former guest of the podcast. It turns out I interviewed both of these guys around the same time in 2018. And I thought, what the heck, I'll give Jim a call and see how he's been, catch up with him, and pick his brain a little bit on sharp tails before I head out on my first hunt of the year. So that's exactly what I did, and that's what you're going to hear today. I had a blast catching up with Jim McCann. I've received a ton of great feedback on his first episode over the years. People really enjoyed that conversation. Jim is an interesting guy. He's a wealth of information, and he's always eager to share his insights, thoughts, some of the things he's learned over the years, and this episode of the show was no different. So with that said, let's welcome into the conversation and on to the Birdshot Podcast once again, all the way from Alaska, Jim McCann. Jim, how are you? I am doing fine. Yourself? I am doing well also. Thank you. Can You You can hear me okay, obviously. I can hear something. <laughs> Sounds like Nick. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, we are back, Jim. Thank you for joining me once again on the Birdshot Podcast. You know what? I forgot to do this. Let me just, I'll just do this on the fly real quick. I want to, unless you remember, do you remember when we spoke last time? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll, we'll. I don't remember we'll let google tell us quite a while back yeah it was at least a couple years ago Uh, here we go august 27 2018 so really it was yeah three years ago or four years ago ah that's that's crazy four years ago we chatted and and similar with same with my same with my the guest that i just interviewed andy wayman from idaho he mentioned your book because i was quizzing him on all kinds of sharp tail sharp tail focused reading and I had interviewed him back in 2018, so I guess I'm I'm going back in my mind to a couple of previous guests, and now I'm I'm looking at a picture of you, Jim, sitting on a tailgate with a with a bunch of sharp tails and two of your dogs, and boy, I'm I'm excited to get out hunting, which you have been doing. So, <laughs> how you been, Jim? Yeah. Oh yeah, I've been doing good, 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 good. I walk a lot of miles. So. Yeah. Are you feeling good? How your how your legs doing? No, I'm not doing too good physically, but uh, I don't care. I'll just push through it. I, uh, <laughs> I've been, I try to stay in shape. I'm that old guy at the gym that everybody says, "Man, you're looking good doing push-ups, pull-ups, you know, and lifting weights and all that stuff." And then all of a sudden, I come up with uh, pretty severe arthritis in my left hip. So oh, man. Uh, that's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But I deal with it. Yeah. Anything specifically you do to? To get through, whether it's whether it's medication or exercise, what are you doing to work through that? Oh, I take my share of ibuprofen. I don't know if it works, but I I just do a lot of exercises. My own. I went to some PT. Yeah. Yeah, I learned what they had to do, and I said thanks a lot. And I just do it at home plus a bunch more stuff. And uh, you know, and I uh, 
when I'm out there in the sharptail woods, I uh, in fields, and I must look funny because every once in a while it's so bad that I, I just hold my shotgun out in front of me and and I do squats. And, <laughs> and the first three, <laughs> yeah, the first three squats, I also scream, you know. <laughs> but uh, but after about four or five of them, I'm doing okay, and then I got another mile or so in me without a lot of pain. But yeah, getting old is uh, it's it's tough. I I've always said that. I don't know which one's going to kill me first, retirement or uh, or old age, but uh, I want to be following bird dogs into my 80s, so I'm going to try and fight this thing all winter and get myself in tip-top shape again. Now, Jim, you just told me you were at the editing desk working on photos all morning. You're not retired, Jim. You're never going to retire. <laughs> my, that's my other job that I've had for, I think, 38 years. <laughs> I got to thinking about that. Maybe Maybe 40 years, I don't know. You know, I, uh, most people don't know that, uh, you know, I spent a, a long career as a, uh, at the Alaska State Trooper, a, uh, their senior investigator, and investigating murders and serial murders and all kinds of terrible things. And, and I always had to, I, I had to do something else, too, in my few hours of spare time. So I, I started writing and photographing a long time ago, and I just keep doing it, just keep doing it. Yeah. Kind of fun. Yeah, well, I, I remember when we when I first interviewed you four years ago, we we talked about that, and you mentioned it, and I, I recall getting, over the years, I've, I've received a lot of feedback on that conversation, and folks just found that, you know, fascinating in the story, and again, that that's, uh, you're, you're, you're very well known for your photography. I think a lot of listeners will have, will have seen it done on Facebook and in magazines and, you know, much more uh, official publications. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's one of your one of the ways that you uh, creatively express your your passion and your your love for these birds and these dogs and these guns and um, certainly uh, certainly one of the things that that drew me to you and I, I want to ask you about your book and and all kinds of stuff. But what you're what you're mentioning there is you know you keep you keep writing, you keep taking photos, you keep doing squats, pushups. You know, it's one of those things where if you know if you don't use it, you lose it and. I, as far as what I know, I mean, you got you got a lot more years on me, Jim. But but that's uh that's a good way to to keep at it. You just got to keep going, right? Yeah, it'll catch up to you. You know, I uh, I blew out my uh, my right knee when I was 16 years old and uh, still living in upstate New York, and I was out hunting rough grouse. <laughs> and uh, you know, my folks couldn't afford to get it fixed, and so I just uh, I don't know bit on a bullet or something for a long time, but. You know, then I spent a little time in the military in the late 60s, and uh, we, we ran in combat boots. I did everything in combat boots. Yeah. And then I ran every day as a trooper. I'd stayed in great shape. So I knew sooner or later, favoring that right knee is going to make something go bad on my left side, and that's what it did. But that's okay. Do you re- I'll get through it. Do you remember what happened long ago in the in the grouse woods of New York exactly? Your knee, do, you have, do you have memories of that moment? Oh, yes, I do. I'm reminded right now, as as I move my right leg a little bit, I'm reminded about it every day of my life. Oh, boy. Yeah, I I just got my license, and, uh, man, I had a nice car. It was a 63 Chevy uh, uh, Super Sport 409. Oh, it was a nice car. And and, uh, myself and Eddie McSorley, I'm surprised I remembered his name, but we went bird hunting, and we spent the whole day pushing through the tough stuff, you know, no dog. And, 
I was uh, I was using my brother's gun that I picked out for him at Sears Roebuck store when mm. it was his birthday. My dad took me up there because I knew more about guns. But, yeah, it was a Browning Sweet 16. And I uh, was on a steep hillside, and I, I took a wrong step, put too much weight on one knee at a bad angle, and out it went. Oh. And uh, not to belabor or go on with this waffle on with this story too long, but, uh, man, I, I hit the ground. I was in pain. My, my knee was was not looking right. It was off to one side. Oh, ouch. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I almost passed out, too. And I, but I, I crawled a little bit, and it snapped back in, and I screamed. And my old buddy, Eddie, he didn't know what to do. He just took off running. Oh. And uh, I guess he went. I guess I went down the road to wave somebody down, and uh, that didn't work because you go back road. But I crawled out of the woods, Jeez. Uh, dragging my brother's gun, got into the car, and I said, I can't drive, Eddie. He said, well, I don't have a license. I said, well, you got to take me to the hospital. And so he <laughs> drove me illegally to the hospital. So that's enough of that story. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Back then, I think anybody could drive if they were, if you could reach the pedals, right, Jim? That was something like that, yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> and as long as you didn't punch on that 409, I guess you, you won't draw too much attention. <laughs> oh, man. That's, uh, you know, that is something that I haven't thought a lot about, you know, in, in the past, but now more than ever. And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that I got two young boys and a wife at home, but I think about walking out in the woods and, and taking a, taking a wrong step, just like you did, Jim. And, you know, I, I lo- love to hunt by yep. myself. I love being out there by myself much as I think you do. And obviously that kind of stuff can happen every day, but geez, I gotta be, yeah. that's why they, that's why they say you gotta be prepared, I guess. Well, you do, and uh, you know, and I hunt big country, you know, mm-hmm. and I often get questions about my rough grouse covers. Well, they're they're bigger than counties elsewhere, you know. I mean, sure. And that's that's an understatement. They're huge; they go on forever. And then when I'm up in the mountains hunting ptarmigan, or or way back on the in the a long ways from the road, and out of cell phone range, uh, hunting sharp tails or whatever. I tend to these days carry a Garmin Enrich. I was just going to ask. Okay. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast, Garmin, you need to get a hold of Nick and uh, <clears throat> help him out here. But, <laughs> well, I've, uh, I've got one, Jim. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but that that thing's a, a godsend here in Alaska, and I highly recommend them. But yeah, and I, as I said that, I I don't always carry it, but <laughs> I. Uh, my daughter gets after me more than anybody. She said, do you have your in-reach? Yeah, I do. But, you know, on sharp tails, you, know, you mentioned uh, before we started even that you're about to embark on a sharp tail hunt. Yes, and, sir. You know, the trouble with sharp tail hunting is that, you know, you cover, there, there's a lot of space between sharp tails. But mm. uh, even nowadays, uh, right now, this season, even here in my target-rich environment here in Alaska, you know, I walk a lot of miles and and since we already talked about advancing age, you know, we carry a lot of stuff, you know, and you, you say goodbye to your truck at eight o'clock in the morning. And I know I'm not going to see that truck again until well, at least early afternoon mm. or late afternoon. And I have to carry a lot of stuff, you know, in the early season, it's warm. Sure. I carry a lot of water, a lot of water for the dogs and for me. You know, you got to carry a lot of shells. You got to carry some 
first aid stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, and then I have to add a, you know, a camera body with a long lens around my neck. And you gotta have I that. tell you, I, I often get out. I know, but I get out there and I wish, you know, that I could just throw a few shells in my pocket and walk away from the truck. And at, you know, about nine o'clock, 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, some beautiful woman will show up with coffee and donuts, you know, and <laughs> take a break and then give me some more shells or whatever. But no, you got to carry a lot of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you're you're hunting a little too wild country for that to be a reality, but there's probably some places in the world that you could, you know, some some lodge or preserve somewhere that they could do that for you. <laughs> I, I guess, but you know, even even hunting rough grouse, you know, uh, you know, when I was a kid, you you found any 10, 15 acres maybe or maybe that's too small, but some uh, some small piece of land where there wasn't a posted sign and yeah. And you went in there and looked for grouse, but, uh, you know, those places, you know, that's where you actually, uh, you can stick a few shells in your pocket and just have the gun over your shoulder and, yep. and maybe a, maybe a, a light vest with something to carry the one or two birds that you might get. But, and for me, it ain't so, Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of sharp tail hunters will be shaking their heads saying, Oh yeah, I know what you mean. And, uh, you know, as, as my season progresses and I, and you know, we get more efficient and if we start finding more birds, there'll be days when I'll have five, uh, two pound shark tail sure. in my game vest too. And, uh, man, I get heavy. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's not as easy as some people say. It's not, it's, you know, it's not climbing the, the granite slopes and crossing scree slopes looking for, uh, uh, sheep, doll sheep, but it's a uh, bird hunting can be hard. Right. Right. The old, the old marathon, not a sprint, so to speak. And, you know, you pick up a, pick up a 10 pound, yeah. pick up a 10 pound weight one time. It's not, you know, it's not that difficult, but pick it up a thousand times and you know, you'll be struggling. Yep. I came to the end of a hunt the other day. It was hot. Well, we started out in the morning. It was wet. It had rained pretty good the night before okay. and the CRP I was hunting yeah. was you know, I, I was neat from the knees down. I was soaked and my pants got heavier and heavier. And, yep. you know, then it yep. warmed up and now I'm hot. And, uh, and this old man was having a tough time at, at about mile seven in the hunt. And, uh, you know, and the dogs go on point and they're, I, I run Brittany's that really get out there. They could be four or 500 yards away. No problem. And I'll tell you at the end of the day, it's pretty hard for this old guy to catch up to the dogs and, move in and get a shot it's oftentimes the birds have taken off on us or at least run off they like to run yep. but uh yeah it's like a marathon you know and i was like pick up that foot put it down pick up the other foot put it down come on jim you can make it <laughs> <laughs> it got pretty ugly i'm begging for cold weather <laughs> what what have the temps been like lately jim on your hunts too high um, normally someone asked me, someone asked me on Facebook this morning about temperatures and, or, or no, it was on Instagram and, and about keeping the dog safe. You know, it's every year in South Dakota or, or any of the Dakotas and some other places uh, there's, there's a lot of dogs that are, that die from heat exhaustion. And, and I've, I've seen a dog go down from heat exhaustion and I hunted alongside that dog for several miles and I never noticed it 
he didn't pant any more than any other dog in the group. And, uh, yeah. and we watched him. We watched all the dogs. We hunt in the shade. And this is our temperatures are 60, 65 when we start our season. And even that is, is pretty warm. Yep. You've got to watch a dog closely because the dog I'm referring to went down at uh, maybe 62 degrees. And plenty of water and everything else. I got photographs of that dog being watered constantly. And uh, just before we got to the truck, one dog was on point, had a bunch of sharp tails out in front of it, and we couldn't find the other dog. And my buddy went looking for him and found him. And uh, yeah, it was pretty dire. Wow. And, uh, you know, the area where we are hunting, uh, there's no vet. Yeah, there used to be, but uh, my old friend down there, my old horse vet, but he died, and uh, no one has taken his place. We had no vet. I went to the human clinic, a remote, you know, little small town clinic, and they wouldn't sell me an IV. And uh, so it uh, it was a touch and go thing. But yeah, it's, we've been up in the seventies this year. Um, yeah, I don't know what's going on. It it it's carrying on, and. Uh, you know, the hunt that we are, the area where I hunt sharp tails, I looked at the forecast and they're in the high sixties for quite a while. Yeah. Where it should be down into the forties and fifties by now. But so I don't know. It's uh, it's all over the place, but you gotta watch it out close. Yeah, yeah. Those are the kind of s- stories that'll they're scary because again, like you said, sixty two degrees. Sixty two is that's a temperature that probably would not have many people too concerned, but just goes to show that anything can happen, right? Yeah, I don't know if it's acclimation or whatever, right. but uh, and the dog will never show you. You know, at, uh, mm-hmm. when I was a horse guy, I mean, uh, I, I used to teach my 4-H girls and all the other people that I helped with their horses, and I'd say, you know, your horse, if given the chance, will eat itself to death. It's the only creature that will do that. Well, a dog, a bird dog, will run itself to death. Its its tail will be wagging, and if you don't notice the symptoms down he goes and sometimes they don't get up anyhow not to get off too far on that tangent but uh, yeah well that's yeah it's all watch your dog yeah it's all wrapped into sharp tail hunting which i do want to talk to you but i was going to say when you were you were talking about again carrying weight and and wanting to go have you uh you done anything gear wise to to lighten the you know with with clothes or pants or anything to to try to to be lighter out there no, I've uh, and I haven't thought about uh, nude hunting, but uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I still wear everything. Still wear my. I'm a I'm a poster boy for Filson for the most part, okay. and uh, and I but I use a uh, I use uh, Bob Welsh's uh, Wingworks vest though. I've yep. got several loads, and you know they're heavy, but they carry a lot of stuff. They I do. I do carry a lot of stuff. I I've even got an expensive pair of German made. Uh, cable cutters just in case one of my dogs gets caught in a, a snare yeah uh, that's left out there by you know someone who forgot it out there or whatever but uh, yeah i carry a lot of stuff but you know sometimes i lighten a load a little bit by three or four ounces by carrying a little 28 gauge instead of something heavier but yes but none of my guns are heavy yeah yeah i like light guns even my well, my favorite gun, the one I've been carrying lately, is because I love it so much. It's uh, an Arietta uh, side lock ejector, sixteen. That's days, a sixteen. But, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah, I started carrying it again because I've been, I've been leaving it in the gun safe and taking that little 
RBL 28. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I do like that gun, though, because it's, it's, it is easy to carry. It's, you know, and it's not just the weight of the gun. It's, uh, you know, it's like people say, what's the best gauge? And my answer is one ounce of seven and a half shot. And they would, no, no, I asked you about gauge. I don't care what you, gauge you're using. The birds don't have any idea what gauge gun you shot them with. But one ounce of seven and a half shot in mm. whatever gun you want to carry. But a 12 gauge is as wonderful as they are, or they're thicker. Um, they're heavier, they're thicker, they're, they're more ponderous in the hand, you know. And, it, and it, I just soon carry a smaller gun, I guess, and a round body is nice. <laughs> yep. That's a great point uh, that you bring up about. Again, about gauges, it's a conversation I've had with a couple of people recently, and, and I think it's a it's a place where I've arrived at in experimenting a little bit and talking lots of, of patterning and ballistics and that sort of thing. And you'll hear people say, very you know, an ounce is an ounce is an ounce. You can shoot an ounce out of a 28. You can shoot an ounce out of a 12-gauge. And a lot of times I think people start the gun comp- people start the gun conversation with gauge because it's a really natural starting point in sort of the way we talk about it but you're often better off flipping the script and saying forget about the gauge because as you're saying Jim every gun and model of gun feels different handles different and it's almost it's like find the gun that feels the best to you forget about what gauge it is Find the one that feels the best in your hands yeah. and feels the best mounting it, and then know you're very likely going to be able to shoot an ounce of seven and a half shot out of it. That's it. And uh, as you get older and have a little bit more money in the bank, it, it it's nice to have one that's real pretty to look at when you ever do sit down and take a break. <laughs> yes. So it's a <laughs> pretty cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, you know I when I when I first started on the on the the really serious upland journey so long ago. Oh, I really got into it. Uh, different different guns, the weight of every gun. Uh, yep. Oh, and chokes. Chokes are another one. And oh, I was gun fit, chokes, the right size shot, the right kind of shot. And, you know, <laughs> old man speaking here, is that I threw most of that out the window. And uh, <laughs> the, gun, the gun fit's okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm still a, a fan of gun fit, but yeah. not not to be anal retentive over it though, because really, uh, you know, with the changes in weather, you're changing your gun fit every time you put a different jacket on or something. You know? and, yeah. You're not a and, robot. You know, a good gun fitter will, yeah. A good gun fitter will, a fitter will ask you to wear the, the clothes you're going to be hunting in. Well, I'd, I'd bring, I'd have to bring a duffel bag, you know, cause I, I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to be wearing today. How many wardrobe changes can you get in your gun fitting? <laughs> yeah. I always go back in my memory though. It dawned on me, one day, I don't know when, but uh, on my old military training uh, back in the 60s, they, uh, before we entered a little training uh, Vietnam village uh, at Fort Jackson, we had uh, some, some training with a BB gun. And uh, I won't get, go off on the whole story, but basically uh, I thought the Army was, the, they were the smartest people in the world because they had all of us shooting discs in the air, thrown discs with a BB gun. Hmm. And I thought this is pretty cool, but they stole it all from the British uh, game shooting school. Sure. But uh, if you if you focus on the target and you extend that, well, for a right hand shooter, if you extend that left hand and for me a left finger, yep. you can point at anything accurately. And 
whether that stock is even touching your, your shoulder or your face at all, actually. And in combat, you, you learn to do that is that you just point down the barrel and, and shoot. It's not minute of angle shooting, but anyhow, so back to shotgun shooting, I really, I, I can think back too. I shot a, oh, it's a Scotch double on rough grouse one day with, with a gun that I was on an awkward hillside and I, that gun never touched my shoulder. But I, I used that, what we call, what they called in the um, army was a quick kill. Mm. And I just extended that finger. And as one took off, I, I got hit. And the other one was in the air then, and I took it. And it's, it works. But I don't, I don't sit around wringing my wrists or worrying about a lot of gun fit anymore and stuff like that. But uh, I just came to realize that it's the most important thing is to put your shot column, whatever choke it came out of or whatever gauge, to put it out in front of the bird. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That helps. Yeah. You've got, you've got enough real world experience to, to know that you, you've, you know, you've got confidence in a lot of things and yeah, you've, you've tried. I'm, I, you know, I'm right in the thick of it as far as like understanding it. And I just, I like it. It's a, it's an interest of mine. Probably not unlike you at the time when you were going into it and maybe, you know, I'm I'm arriving at some of the conclusions that you've arrived at long long ago, but it's all fun. Yeah, it is. And another thing that comes with age is that you don't have you don't start kicking the dirt and swearing and carrying on because you missed a bird. You just gotta <laughs> laugh and and, sal- and salute a rough grouse or something or a sharp tail, whatever you know, and tip say, your uh, cap to it. Yeah, you got me this time. Yeah, you know how many birds do I need to kill? You know, it, you know that all wanes too. I don't need to fill my bag. Uh, Actually, up here in Alaska, there's some people that totally repulse me because, uh, and, and I'm, I'm constantly arguing with Alaska Department of Fish and Game about uh, limits. Mm. I mean, 20 birds in a day? Are you kidding me? That's incredible. So is that that's yeah. combined grouse, 20 birds? No, you know, actually, I, I can't even speak well to this. because and, and people look at me strangely because they'll ask me, the bird guy, hey, what's the limit? And my answer usually is, you know, on grouse, I'm not sure if it's 10, 15, or 20 anymore. I said, what? Well, how come you don't know? Because I would never take that many. I'm, I'm, if, if I got two or three rough grouse in my, in my game bag, I'm a happy guy. Mm. You know, I, in the area I hunt shark tails, I can take five. And in some years, I really do hunt in a target-rich environment, and, and there's birds all over the place. And I pick my shots, and by the end of the day, I generally have five birds in there, and I don't feel bad about it at all because I, I left a ton of birds behind. But uh, I'll take that five, but I can walk out of that area and take 15 more grouse someplace else. Are you kidding me? And to each his own, you know, your methods and, and you know, how you, how you get this all done. But uh, I, I just had a great time here uh, last week, and, there's a, I belong to a, a photography group here, you know, and matter of fact, we're going to, we're going to meet here in a little while, drink coffee and talk about photography. But there's a young lady there that I never realized this about her, but she said to me, she said, tell me about this bird hunting stuff. I, I'd like to do that. Well, that's all that took. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I can, somebody, yeah, if I can introduce somebody new and, and she's a nice kid, she's my daughter's age, you know, and, uh, Cool. And I said, yeah, sure. And, and we went, uh, last Sunday and I took her to one of my favorite places. And unfortunately, 
And she asked me, please, Jim, no death march. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, well, it, it turned out it was a death march, <laughs> and, and, but she's pretty tough. We had, I don't know, eight miles of, wow. you know, walk through that stuff. And, and, uh, and the birds were, it's been a strange year. And, uh, we didn't really, I think we moved a couple of birds that were likely lone males and they jump up pretty, pretty far out yeah, sometimes, yeah. you know, you're, you're going after sharp tails. Yeah. Yeah. They wouldn't wait around for us to show up from 300 yards away. And, yeah. But then we, we found one cubby and they were coming up all over the place and, and, uh, I just stayed with her and I just, uh, stood right next to her. And she was using a 20 gauge over and under of mine, a little Browning Satori that I had from, oh gosh, I don't know, maybe 40 years ago. I don't know. Is it a but, uh, super been, light or upland special or anything? It's a the 26 inch barrel yep. with, a, okay. with a straight stock. Oh yeah. The super light. That's, what, that's yep. what I like. Love that. Yeah. It, it's a nice gun. Oh, I know it. And probably the least expensive gun I've got too, but I, I wash <laughs> out a lot of grouse with that gun. Yeah. And, uh, and she hadn't even fired that gun. I mean, she shouldered it a few times and mm-hmm. she's a good student. You know, people need to be good students of this, this stuff and really listen and think about this. And, and, and she knew when that bird, it was like a, oh, I don't know, like a high station eight. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. It was a tough shot, really. And you had to do some swinging to get in front of that bird. And I kept after her. I said, if you're going to miss, miss out front. And she understood and she swung that, that bird was come at us and I said, take him. And she swung that little 20 gauge up there and got out in front of that bird and smoked him. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was the only bird we shot that whole day. I never even fired my gun, you know, but uh, that's okay. Yeah. She had a blast and now she's hooked. She said, she's thinking about, well, I should wear different clothes. Maybe though. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That red shirt, that would be nice for photographs and <laughs> and uh, can't wait to go again so uh so that was her first her first bird hunt yeah she's 29 years old she's she's hunted some other stuff and shot some birds on the ground in montana but uh okay but this is the first time she ever worked behind a bird dog and uh and uh ever shot flying so <laughs> that's a hell of a way to start that's super <laughs> cool yeah. i had to get her on here so she can tell her her side of the story hunting with jim on that death march <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> but we're going to go on a more here too so uh good. But yeah she yeah she enjoyed that you know i uh and, and watching the dogs it's just yeah <clears throat> she's a dog person yeah. but didn't know about bird dogs so many people don't know about bird dogs but uh, uh yeah you know it was thick though it was thick the the, uh, the brush hmm. I, I think i already mentioned it was it, you know it's it's grass and aspen suckers that are anywhere from knee high to waist high and not not in all the places but uh but in a lot of it and oh man that's tough on the dogs and yeah you gotta wonder people i got to thinking back you know where well i even said this myself i was my ego was involved with my first bird dog was like if he bumped a bird and somebody was around i'd be like embarrassed yeah i can't believe he bumped that bird when you get to thinking about this again, being the student of bird hunting, bird dogs, of all this stuff, you get to realizing how hard it is for the dog. So yep. if I have a new hunter out there or, or even a not so new hunter and he or she's complaining about the dog bumping a bird, I mean, 
you know, there's a little breeze in our faces. I don't understand why they couldn't smell it. I like to shove their face down into the grass. I said, get down on your knees. <laughs> get, get Just like you're a dog and put your face up into that brush. There's no breeze down there, is there? No, it's hard on them. It's, uh, and they do a spectacular job even on a bad day. Yeah. Yeah. That's the more you, more you do it, the more you realize you got to give the dog the benefit of the doubt. Trust your dog. I mean, people, again, you say it all the time, but how quickly we forget when we're out there, you know? Yeah. I guess most of it's ego, you know, that we don't want, uh, right. You know, we, we don't want any, but I generally don't have anybody with me. So it's just me, but and I don't shoot bump birds. They're, they're too valuable, you know, and, and it, it could knock a young dog back in his training and encourage him to, uh, to go out there and purposely bump some more. So I, I don't. Other people do. Have at it. That's that's your prerogative. But uh, no, they're too valuable. Like Lee Wolf said about the trout, you know, the catch and release is that put them back because they're they're too valuable to use only once. And I mean, I'm a predator. I like to shoot birds. Yeah. No, I got to do it over a over a nice point. And but early season, you know, the sharp tails have the advantage. They're uh, at sharp tails are the same any place. There's always a lot of space around them. Right. You're going to do some walking wherever you're hunting them. And I may have them a little bit more concentrated in, in the area I hunt right, up right now, but, uh, but they're, they're either in the woods a little bit cooling off or, uh, or they're out in the grass, but you've got to cover a lot of miles. And right now it's so thick that they have the advantage. You can't smell them. You know, you might pass by them. You might bump them. Um, they're just scattered. But very soon, <laughs> the leaves are going to fall. <laughs> yeah, and uh, many a new sharptail hunter. You know, I a lot of a lot of the place, a lot of times I hunt on 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 old farmland, you know, and stuff here. But okay, it's a it's a great advantage. It, but uh, but the birds could either be out in the grass, or they'll be in right in the windrows, in the aspen and yep. spruce, and uh, some some willow in, in the windrows and. You know, when the leaves are up, even though there's five, six, seven, eight of them chuckling at you and getting up, they're usually on the other side, and you can only get glimpses. And the new sharktail hunter will never fire a gun. And I'll say, why did you shoot? I really couldn't see him that well. <laughs> and I just look at my dogs and say, dead bird, fetch him up. Because I shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. An old grouse hunter, an old rough grouse hunter. We'll just chuckle at all that because that's they're pretty simple. And when the leaves come down, I almost feel sorry for the grouse because, again, an old rough grouse hunter like me, <laughs> good luck with trying to get away. So. Yeah, it starts to look like a beach ball up there. Yeah, I I remember my my first my first hunt last well not my first hunt but my I think it was my second morning hunting last year in September, and uh, the I had uh, my pup well she was a year and a half old at the time and she went on point and walking in on the grass but what ended up happening is there was a clump of aspens out in the middle of this field and the sharp tails were flushing in there and i i i should have i should have doubled really but i got one but i dropped it you know right in the middle of an aspen tree i'm like i'm not feel like i'm grouse hunting out here shooting birds out of the aspen out out in north dakota (laughs) yeah it's crazy it really is and i i thoroughly enjoy it i mean because when I'm alone, if you can imagine it, I'm walking along and, you know, and all of a sudden, uh, Garmin tells me my one, well, two of my dogs, I usually hunt two dogs. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm only down to two dogs right now, but I, uh, I hunt, hunt them both. And I, 
and they're up there, I don't know, 140, maybe 250 yards away. And, and the Garmin's okay. It's fairly accurate, but it doesn't tell you exactly. So you got to do some looking around when you get up there in the area. And if, if they're over up the windrow, I see a, I see a little Brittany butt sticking out of the, out of the brush <laughs> with a, a tail that's no longer wiggling. Well, there's a dog on point and it's facing into that windrow. So I, my only recourse is to drop back a little bit, cut through the woods, and then I come up the other side and then the birds, uh, they'll either trick me and go right up through the woods, right through the trees and come out way ahead out of gunshot range, or they, they come out on my side and I, I eat them the next day. But, uh, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's a game of, uh, of, well, it's, yeah, we're, it is a game yeah. and, uh, it's a life death game for the birds. And, uh, yeah, it can be frustrating at times, but Hey, it, we'll go find them the next time. You know, if we, if we, if they win, that's fine with me. Yeah. Gearing up for your next hunt? Check out Ugly Dog Hunting Company for all your dog supply needs. Ugly Dog Hunting carries a full line of products for your bird dog and even some for you. Whether you're looking for dog collars, GPS tracking devices, kennels, beds, leads, training equipment, or first aid supplies, Ugly Dog Hunting carries it and a whole lot more. New owner of the company and friend of the Bird Shop podcast, Mike Nadusky, loves to remind me that while I do hunt with pretty dogs, every dog can be an ugly dog. Check out the entire selection of gear for you and your bird dog at UglyDogHunting.com. For many upland hunters, along with their passion for dogs, birds, and the places we chase them, comes a passion for shotguns. Upland Gun Company specializes in customizing shotguns for the upland bird hunter imported from Italy and shipped direct to an FFL near you. Select from one of their side-by-side or over-under shotgun platforms and customize the fit, function, and aesthetics to your liking. Design and build your next upland hunting shotgun with Upland Gun Company today. Visit UplandGunCompany.com. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Well, I did want to ask you about the, this This conversation is all, it's it's around a topic that I, I wanted to bring up and you've, you've covered it here, but I'll, I'll, I'll poke around a little bit more. I was just reading, I picked up a, I bought a bunch of books this summer and kind of just all, all kinds of stuff, but I got some stuff on Sharp Tales and I picked up this little, it's this little handheld guidebook that Ben O'Williams did. It's called Prairie Wisdom and he's got some stuff in there about Sharp Tales and I brought this up with my last guest in that when I go out west to hunt sharp tails, I'm kind of, I love being out there in the short grass and I've talked about this numerous times. And so I'm, I'm really focused on the grass, but I'm forgetting that I'm kind of blocking out in my mind that sharp tails are very much a mixed habitat bird. And I, I've always known this and I, I imagine, and I've seen your pictures and I know from talking to you and, and Ben is something Ben reiterated in this book is that sharp tails are, they're going to be in and around brushy, woody habitat. And he really, he, he hammered home the importance of it so much so that it kind of like, it woke me up, you know, it was like, kind of, it's like slapped me in the face, like, Hey, 
it, it's not all about the grass. They need the woody vegetation too. So I, I wanted you to talk a little bit about how they use that mixed habitat, and you've you've done a good job of that already, but what other thoughts do you have on it? Oh, I got plenty of thoughts on it. It's, uh, <laughs> like, like Ben, I mean, well, first off, even before the cover, in my experience, and I'll tell people all the time, is you can find good cover, but you might not find good uh, find grouse, mm-hmm. is that you need to hunt the food. And, uh, you know, I've seen some great cover, but there's no food. And uh, we got plenty of good cover up here, but, uh, and then what are they eating? Well, I, I'll tell you what they're eating, and, and but every grouse that you shoot, you should open up that crop. You don't have to do it in the field. You can do it later, but figure out kind of what they're eating. But but I know up here, a standard is a, a kinnikinick berry that grows right down on the ground. Okay. And uh, it's, it, there's just patches of them here and there. And and then work your dog around that area. And I just, I think I did a little phone video the other day. It was kind of cool. I've probably done a hundred videos over the years like this, but the dog will tell you whether the sharp tails have been used in that little patch. And, and sometimes I had two Britneys just going crazy, snortling, you know, like, yeah, uh, like little pigs, you know, taking in that scent. Well, that not only tells me that some a covey of sharp tails had eaten some kinnikinick from that patch, but they ain't far away and sure. they weren't. So one dog will go one way and one dog will go the other. They'll search that breeze. But you got to search, you got to hunt the food. You know, another thing about shark tails is, uh, you know, the grass can't be too tall. It can't be yeah. too uh, thick. It can't be too thin. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they do like that cover. And I generally, when I'm hunting this, my friend's farm, I, I go to, I usually hunt the windrows or along the edge okay. for two reasons. One is that if a lot of the kinnikinick grows right along the edge of the windrow and the grass, a lot of it, not all of it, but, and, and then there's the cover. Um, actually I've, I've, I've found sharp tails here in Alaska. It just startled me that I was in deep rough grouse woods, wilderness, rough grouse woods. Hmm. And I knew from some experience in this area that my dogs were pointing rough grouse. And up came four shark tails in the woods. I mean, this, there wasn't an open parkland for a long ways. Wow. And uh, yeah, I brought two of them home with me too. But uh, it was like, what are you doing out here? But I've had that many times. I, you know, you, you push through the aspen woods, and you come to an open, a more open area. It yep. could still, it still looks like rough grouse woods, but it's a little bit more open. And just look down at your feet and, uh, oh, blueberries. There's mm-hmm. a big patch of blueberries in there. And I know that sharp tails love blueberries. And they'll try and eat, they'll try and eat overwintered blueberries in the summer. <clears throat> uh, excuse me, in the spring. In the spring, sure. And I, actually, actually, I'm looking right on my, on my desktop page right now at a, at a sharp tail grouse photograph and some people look at them closely and know what is that stain on it? Well, it's blueberries, but hunt the food, you know, the cover, like Ben says, uh, they like rises in the land. If there's a little bit of a rise, I often find sharp tails there. Why? Because they have to be able to see, yep. you know, they're out there in open country and they're, they're laying flat to the ground. <laughs> I had several people over the years asked me, well, 
well, how flat are they? I said, well, they're, they're flat as a, I've come up on them and watched them and they're laying as flat as a bison patty. We have a lot of wild bison running around. And of course, then somebody will say, well, how flat's a bison patty? <laughs> well, it's about as flat as the shark tail. <laughs> trying to hide from predators. <laughs> yeah, have, it's amazing have chasing their tail it, in no time. Oh, yeah. And also, yeah, the other way I describe it is, well, it looks like, you know, a, a farmer's tractor ran over it. And I mean, it's like a, it, it's just laying flat down there. And, <laughs> you know, and, and they're in different directions so that they can see predators coming from all areas. Like any uh, grouse, it, 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 they're waiting, they're, they're watching very closely for raptors. And that's their number one predator. Yeah. You get hoppers? Like if you're, if you're knocking sharptails down right now, will they be full of grasshoppers? That's a good question. And yes and no, it's crazy. You know, I've been at this long enough that over the last at least 30 years, I've looked, it used to be that, well, Alaska sharptails are said to be the biggest and, mm. and they'll go over two pounds. Uh, but generally that's not until uh, the last few days of September and maybe the first few days of October. And we don't often get to shoot those October birds because once the, first skip of snow comes around and covers the food source they leave and they go up into the high country and, and actually they live in roughly the same place as rock ptarmigan really but it used to be yeah that uh, that when we had a, a sharp tail year or excuse me a grasshopper year and i learned i i did some research i'm the student right i always calling around looking around looking for a grasshopper expert and i found a guy at the university of alaska here that uh, I was only talking to him on the phone, and you know he sounded like, oh poor guy. I hope he's not listening to this. But he sounded like one of those two guys in the Silence of the Lambs movie. You know when you were talking to him about, uh, he was like, you want to talk to me about grasshoppers? <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> oh boy, you know, and it kind of went that way. But, and he was most of the stuff he said, you know, I didn't understand, and it was early in the day, and I couldn't have a drink yet, but. Uh, <laughs> it, what I did get from them mostly was that they're every other year here. Wow! I don't okay. know how, if it's the same elsewhere, but and I, I forget the name for a, a, a grasshopper, a female. It's she can make a decision even though she's pregnant to hold off having their huh. young until the next spring. But I I don't know what that's called anymore. I forgot. But uh, but what matters is that it was every other year. And you know we I used to have crops that were just loaded i mean they were like bigger than golf balls i mean just yep i've had tons of grasshoppers in there and it made them big and fat real quick and it was and then all of a sudden they stopped doing that wow and yeah it just shocked me and uh well you know i guess i a funny story is that I guess my only little feel good story is that occasionally I'd open a crop and there's all these dead hoppers in there and there's one little Jonas in there and he says, Oh man, thanks. I need to get out of here. He would pop out let him and go. fly away. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I let, yeah, I'd let him out of the whale's mouth or whatever, but uh, yeah, that would hurt. But um, now all of a sudden, and, and this year, there's grasshoppers all over the place again, small ones okay. compared to what we usually have. But and so far, I've only had one grouse. Had about eight of them in there. Hmm. Uh, it's very strange, but it's a great food source. I, I yeah. 
why these grouse up here have have turned off to them, I don't know. That's really interesting, yeah. But, uh, well, another thing, though, about grasshoppers is that you see them jumping around a lot. Well, that's kind of a tough target for a shark tail. Sure. And uh, where they like, where I've watched them and, and learned it, to know this about them is that they'll be out early morning. Uh, the grasshoppers don't get active, I think, until that's another scientific thing that you have to have three days at some temperature to get whatever. Yeah, it would make sense. But yeah. They're underneath. Yeah, they're underneath the leaf, uh, clutter, and uh, they're getting picked And they off. will, the shark tails will find them. Yeah, and they can pick them up while they're still in their kind of dormant stage, waiting to warm up, you know, and they, they eat them before they get hopping around. So, uh, yeah, they get grasshoppers that don't hop. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <It's interesting>. but, yeah. <laughs> that's how they get them, and uh, they get them in the evening. But, uh, yeah, they eat grasshoppers, and, uh, you know, our farm fields up here are just nothing but barley, but everybody says, oh, that'll get them. No, it doesn't. I've been at this at this a long time, and uh, they can be. I could put them up in a barley field or right next to one, and I think maybe four or five times in my life I've found barley uh, hmm. in the crops of sharptails. That's good. Yeah, yeah, they're an interesting bird, and and they don't have organizations like, well, like the rough grouse and right. pheasants forever to help them. I mean, there's there's a national grouse. Uh, partnership yeah north american partnership yeah yeah i mean pheasants forever and quill forever they do a lot of work a lot of their work i think does benefit sharp tails yeah yeah oh yeah yeah well it's it's like the moose people up here you know yeah they're they're actually uh they were competing with rough grouse for a while you know with rough grouse society work but they're, they're so much better at it and moose and and grouse need the same thing. Correct. Yeah. So it didn't bother me. I don't care what the name of the organization is, but but there's very little study on them. And I I don't want to take you too far afield, but I learned. I found a. Uh, I think I mentioned this in my book. Was uh, I found a study once that uh, uh, a student did here in the 1950s at UAF, and it was about uh, two scholars at UAF that started the university or whatever and everything's named after them but they would go for walks on the railroad tracks just below the university which is oh i don't know mile and a half from where i'm sitting right now okay and along those railroad tracks in the 1930s the early 1930s they would put up hundreds of sharp tail grouse and then they this 1950 paper said that uh, there had been some sort of mass emigration and and the grouse were gone hmm. and uh and like it what all this boils down to is that i did find one or two experts to talk to me but it's like every 30 years these grouse get an a, an itch to, to to move or go someplace i don't know where they go but i, I guess you know they don't like uh uh industry and and housing and stuff like that yeah you know like the rough grouse you know rough grouse are they can tolerate that a bit more yeah yep yeah sharp tails don't but uh yeah it's and, interesting and 30 years ago if, if you showed up here today and you said boy i don't have much time i'm only going to be here for like a few hours i sure wish i could stay longer and hunt sharp tails and i said well here use this shotgun let's go because 15 minutes from my house 
there was a place to hunt sharp tails and I could take you and put you into sharp tails. Hmm. It was a good place to train dogs, but they're all gone. They've moved. So they just keep moving. There's, there's a mystery about sharp tails that I, I wish some group or some individuals would, would solve, but they're a pretty cool bird. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, honestly, that's, that's one of the things that that's got you and I chatting today and it's, it's where my conversation with Andy Wayman went and I was, again, listeners will know this, but we are kind of, I was thinking about sort of this lack of, you know, there's not the books and, and studies or group, as you say, uh, for sharp-tailed grouse, there's sort of this kind of underappreciated bird and there's such a cool, cool bird that obviously I've got a deep interest in much like you. And yeah, that, that got me thinking about it. And, and Andy mentioned, mentioned your book, but they're a neat bird that I wish they got a little bit more love, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. I, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a strange deal. And you know, the big talk around here this year is, uh, that there aren't going to be any birds because fish and game surveys, uh, were, uh, you know, they didn't find many, uh, hmm. well, as many birds on the Lex yep. as usual. And, and then doing flushing surveys, uh, in the summer, they didn't find as many birds, and you know I, I can't argue against the lex. I I go and photograph birds on the lex. I was going to ask you know, about that. Fluctuates. That. Okay. Yeah, it, I mean, it fluctuates. They they typically use the same spot. Yep. But even in my own experience, limited experience, I guess, of looking at lex, I, my favorite lex to photograph is no longer because the grass died. I don't know why, but it's just sort of a rocky dirt sort of ridge now interesting the last time i was down down to photograph them uh, you know i usually go in the day before i'll, I'll it's a long ways from from my home so i i get there in the afternoon and i walk around looking for evidence of sharp-tailed grouse uh, some droppings uh, maybe a feather or two from dancing around and losing it and i found one feather and one dropping and i thought yeah this isn't going to work but, so they, they kind of move their legs around and uh, so that's not all that accurate. And unfortunately, people really, and I don't know if they do this at all in the lower 48. I don't know. But here, those summer. Like the brood surveys, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've done them. I, I didn't do them this year because it was 80 degrees. And I, and I, as much as I love helping fishing game do this stuff, and it's all cool, but we get on some pretty good private ground to do it. But on these farms where it's always been done for many, many decades, but I'm not taking my dogs out at 80 degrees mm-hmm. to do it. No, yeah. too dangerous. But so that they didn't find many birds. Well, there's so many variables and transects. Uh, again, I'm no scientist. I'm a far, I'm far from it, but they do the same compass headings every year. And the ground changes, especially yeah. on some of the farms that they do it on because all of a sudden, it's not CRP anymore. It's it's crops. Well, there's no birds there. And to say that, you know, and, and shark tails don't, they don't sit there on transects. They could be 100 yards either side or mm-hmm. a half a mile either side. Once once the chicks are moving around in the summer, they, you know, they, they don't sit in the same spot. So it's it's not very accurate. But going out and hunting and seeing things is is. Yeah, I just, I always relied on just, it's either going to be a matter of a three mile hunt with lots of flushes and points and flushes, 
or it's going to be a seven to 10 mile hunt. Yep. Just the way it goes. But I enjoy them all. But this year so far has been, hasn't been easy, but I, uh, I got rained out yesterday. Did you? uh, Yeah. And I think it'll be raining this weekend, but that's okay. Everybody's out having fun and, right. You know, being a retired sort of guy, you know, or, or my job requires that I hunt fish. I don't, I don't like to go out on the weekends or on holidays because other folks are out there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You take care, you take care of that during the week. (laughs) Yeah. When somebody says, have a good weekend, uh, not going to (laughs) happen. What? No, you should wish me have a good Monday through Friday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I like sharp tails. I mean, I'm a rough grouse hunter. Always will be. Yeah. I started out on that. I guess we're all like that, but, yeah. uh, yep. and I, I still wax, you know, nostalgic about the rough grouse woods and all that stuff, you know, but, um, I won't be hitting the rough grouse woods for a while because it's pretty thick out there. Yep. Yeah, and the birds are a little young, you know, but uh, I leave them alone for a while. And once once the, the full fall colors are in here, though, yeah, I'll be heading to the grouse woods. Yeah, my September is is frenetic because I'm torn every day. Uh, the fly fishing is getting better. Should I go fishing? Um, should I go rough grouse hunting? Should I head out to chase sharp tails again? Uh, moose season opened uh, yesterday or the day before, but so should I grab my recurve and go out and try and get a moose? I mean, it's like, uh, and then I'll be out someplace thinking I should be trying to climb up into the mountains to photograph doll sheep. Oh, <laughs> you know, so it's a, about the time, uh, the first week of October usually is when things really start to change for me, but, uh, then you settle into the bird hunting. Well, it's, actually no it's just starting as quickly as it started and, and uh, as great you. as it was that yeah uh, october around here can get rough sure but i don't think it will be this year I, we may be blessed with warm weather right into october like we have many years and i'll be in the rough grouse woods but but i quit i'm out of the woods uh, late october because the the trappers are out and uh mm. and uh yeah i don't want any part of that and they don't want anything to do with me and I don't want anything to do with them. So sure, yeah. uh, I let them have it. I let them have it and I let them have the woods all winter long and I'll just wait and start hunting ptarmigan up in the high country. Yeah. You can, you do that in, in but, uh, March again, don't you? When it, when things start to loosen up. Well, it, it's not an easy answer. Actually, I do it depends. in the middle of winter too. Yeah. It depends. We get these little, you know, we're just, you'll be reading, you'll see on the news that, Oh, it's 50 below in Fairbanks today. But you didn't see on the news that, oh, it's it's three above in Fairbanks the next day. Hmm, yeah. Well, that's when I'm I'm poised and ready. And I grab those dogs and throw my snowshoes in the truck and we're gone. <laughs> but uh, but nature, nature has a way to, you know, throw a monkey wrench in there because everything changed. It was this this past winter. Um, we don't get all that much snow here in the interior. And last year we had, well, I had over five foot of it on my deck. And I, uh, a lot of my the last three years, as a matter of fact, the, the, the photographs that I do in the spring of drummers, uh, we could do a whole show on that, but uh, they were all on snow, mm. not on log, because the whole forest was covered with, and this year, several feet of snow. And people enjoy the photographs. They're different. 
And I have to tell them that, well, I enjoy taking them. They are different. They are beautiful. But they uh, once that, that cockbird meets up with the hen and uh, things happen, he goes back to drumming to have to make love to more hens. And what does the hen do? She's got five to seven days to find a nesting site. Yeah, right. And that's, and, that, and that's what happened this year. That's what happened this year. That's what threw everything out. The rough grouse were supposed to be on the rise. And I think they're going to be okay. But I'll tell you, when the rough grouse are, are at a high around here, oh, <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it really is unbelievable. Oh, man. I mean, we don't have the, the, the fertile rough grouse ground that uh, Minnesota and, and Wisconsin and other places have. But uh, some of this is rather marginal rough grouse terrain. But, oh, man. Oh man, they're all over the place. You know, I, for me to go in with my dogs and some of my favorite places and put up 40 rough grouse, that, that's a big deal to me. Absolutely. Yeah. But, uh, they're all over the place. They're dead on the highway. They're just, they're just all over running into people's houses. And, but this, this year was everything different. And I guess I was, I, I get to walk one on, you know, I'm off on tangents. I'm sorry, but, that's okay, but Tarmigan, I, I, Ptarmigan, we go. There's so much to talk about, really. That it, yeah, it's so varied. Ptarmigan this year, I I never hunted ptarmigan this this whole winter and spring because there was even when it started to melt off in April, there was three or four foot of soft snow up there, and no thanks. Yeah, no thanks. And I'm sure the ptarmigan suffered over it too because again, hunt the food. You know, I can go to some of my favorite spots and. I'll take a new hunter out there, or even some guys that should know better. And I said, yeah, we're not going to do very well here today. How do you know that? Well, look, all the food's covered up. Covered, yeah. It's all covered up in snow. I mean, as far as you can see. So a ptarmigan will just say, well, we're out of here, and they'll go someplace else. Yep. They will fly a long distance. They're a, they're a flying bird. But, um, yeah, it was tough. I never even got on snowshoes this uh, past year. It was mm. just too much snow in the high country. Well into the into April, and uh, so every year is different. Mother Nature is in charge. Yeah, I'm just thankful that the government is not. <laughs> and, uh, you and me both. <laughs> not a, yeah, so it, it, it's hard. But some years, I mean, I I've hunted on the shortest day in December. You know, oh, we yeah. had December twentieth. Three yeah. hours. You got three hours of light on the shortest day. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, maybe a little bit more, but sure. you know, I'm up in the high country, right. and I've actually I've done okay, and it's just gorgeous. You know, it's usually zero or a few degrees above zero, but that's cold. You know, and I anymore. Yeah, it is. You know, but it's a dry cold here. You know, and once you get going on snowshoes, uh, you warm up real quick. For sure. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and I I tend to not go out when it's too cold anymore. I just I don't need to and shot a lot of ptarmigan so I, I like to go out in the spring march and april are my times right right not this past year hmm. this year was tough tough if a guy were planning a trip not that i am but and this is a this is a hard hard question you know it varies all the time but if you were wanted to come to alaska to hunt and this might sound crazy a guy that lives in minnesota and hunts rough grouse and sharptails but if i were coming to alaska and wanted to to capture maybe a, a short window of time where it was good sharp tail hunting and good rough grouse hunting. What, when would that be? Would that be like third or fourth week in September? 
You got it. Anywhere probably second to, to fourth week of September. Gotcha. Uh, rough grouse, I mean, yeah, even later. But but shark tails, again, they move around. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a story. I don't know who's – I think it's coming out soon in one of the magazines. I can't remember anymore. But uh, but I had uh, – I had, it was a red-letter day. And I, I can tell you this about shark tails, at least here. Now, I've mentioned already that they will migrate out of the area when the first snow comes. Last year, they, I don't know, two years ago, they did it earlier. There hadn't even been a skip of snow that I can recall. But uh, but I know from hunting the same area, I went, I started the season with being able, if I wanted to, to take a five bird limit in a three mile walk. And then it gets to five miles. <laughs> and then it's give or take, you know, but then I, I always know that at the end of the season, here's my frustration. I've already mentioned all these other things that I want to do in late September yep. because rainbow trout down south are just hungry and big and the grayling are huge and voraciously hungry. So I want to go fly fishing. I should be out moose hunting. I should be rough grouse hunting. But the student in me wants to know more about shark tails and I know that towards the end of September, the first week of October, I'm going to have, I'm going to start out with a hunt that I'm going to walk 10 miles. And if I'm lucky, I'll put up one or two male shark tail. And sometimes they're sitting up in an aspen tree, um, watching out over the, over the terrain. I, I don't shoot any of them, but I'll go the whole day with nothing. And my, and this one year was two, two years ago, I think it was. And, um, I've hit it big before, but not it's not a you can't do it regularly but i had just clyde because i had a, another catastrophe and and uh and lost the dog and so it was just me and clyde and uh or proper english it was clyde and me but um <laughs> we were uh we went down there and we did two 10 mile marches uh several days apart but uh, we didn't find any grouse but I took them down there, and it was the last few days of September, and and I pulled up to oh, one of my usual parking spots, and I only got two there, and uh, I just real casual about it. It was a nice day. It turned out the weather's supposed to be lousy, and it turned out to be blue skies and sunshine, and it was, I don't know, 40 degrees, 45 degrees. It was perfect, but I uh, put a Garmin collar on, uh, on Clyde and said, well, let's give her a try, buddy, and I let him down, and and he went off to hunting, and I, I hadn't even put on my gear yet, and I slowly put on my vest and everything. And, and I looked up there at Clyde, and he wasn't 100 yards away from the truck, and, and he was nose up in the air, uh, trying to stand up on his uh, hind legs. He's looking for scent. He's got something going on. Yeah. So I, I put it, I skedaddled down there. I got, I got ready quicker, and I tried to catch up to him, and I hadn't even loaded the gun yet, and I realized he went on point. And I, so I threw two tails in the little 28, and I just wasn't ready. It wasn't my mind wasn't ready yet. But yeah. uh, about six or seven or eight, eight of them uh, just got up chuckling, and I couldn't believe it that I I missed the first gimme shot, but I made the second. And uh, Clyde was getting me a bird, and. Man, they were coming up all over the place. And uh, we just went like that. We went on further, and 
you know, I'll bet when we ended our hunt, we hadn't gone a mile, but, and that was, and that was just for extra points, but yeah, I just, we just kept finding birds and Clyde is pointing them. And, and then I, I saw them, they moved in again behind me. Um, wow. And I'm kind of ruining the story, but, uh, but one of my heroes is, uh, uh, Marine, uh, then Colonel, uh, Chesty Fuller. And he's one of his famous quotes, uh, he was in the, uh, he was surrounded by the enemy in the Korean war at the, uh, Chosin river and, uh, or yeah. And, uh, he had to rally his men and he just stood up there and said to his Marines, he said, they're behind us and they're in front of us. They're off to our left and they're off to our right. They can't get away from us now. And <laughs> yeah, you know, I, and, and and basically, I love that. I might have said it wrong, but but it's basically what he said. And yeah. uh, and they were all around us, and and it got to the point where it was. And I'm looking for perfect points. I mean, and sure. Clyde's a good dog, but you know he's like, man, this is sensory overload. Yeah. And at one point, and I have a photo. I have a photograph of it. I'm photographing him now, with he's pointing with a big two pound sharp tail stuffed in his mouth. Oh. And and I said, that's it, buddy. That's it. Well, give me that bird because we got our five. And then I thought about it. He wouldn't move. And I thought about it. I said, wait a minute. So I reached back in my bag and I counted one, two, three. Oh, he's got the fourth bird. Oh, no, I got one more to go. <laughs> so I moved forward and took my last bird. And uh, in short order, we had five two-pound birds in the bag. Jeez. And I just... I just walked along with an unloaded gun and let him point. And then I went in and flushed and, and he held. And I said, good boy, good boy. Until heading back to the truck, just shaking my head. But we hit it. It was perfect timing. They migrate and they move from other areas and they either stop for a break or some food or, or, to, or to stop someplace for the night. And every once in a while I hit it, you know, hundreds of birds just, <laughs> coming up chuckling all over the oh, place and running and yeah <laughs> i know it i know it it's hard to describe and what time of year was that jim <laughs> that's the last of september last, last of september last time i had that but usually it's it's right after the first skip of snow okay yeah yeah and uh, that. and they and that that was their signal to leave but you know the more i think about it i, I uh it's like everything else out there. It could be just photo period that, that sent them running, yeah. you know, that they sense that they, that's it. You know, in the spring, it's the photo period causes, uh, uh, you know, gonadal swelling for the, and makes the birds, uh, get on their legs and, uh, on their drumming logs. And, and, uh, it's photo period that turns the ptarmigan white. It's not anything. It's not the snow. Right, right. But yep. they do require snow as camouflage, and yep, uh, this doesn't this doesn't sound fair, but it it does sound fun, and it's true. Uh, and I I think I've got one of these stories coming out here soon too, and in in one of the big magazines. But uh, it's perfect timing. Uh, that was my title for it too, and that's what it was. And yep. I'm going to try and pull it off again this year. I have a local area here not too far from my home that's up in the high country above the tree line that uh, where I hunt ptarmigan in the winter. A lot of hunters who are not students of this stuff will, will be up there in the fall hunting. But if they ask me, I tell them there's no ptarmigan there yet. 
they don't come there until snow time. Oh, yeah, they don't breed up there. They don't, they'll just be there when the snow hits. And uh, I, I guess they just watch that snow as it moves further south. They, the birds migrating from the north just go along with it. But uh, if it, the conditions are right, like I had in the last couple of years, uh, there's been an early snow. Well, early. There's been a snow up there and a, a skip of snow in first week in October. And then it melts mostly. It, it turns warm. Now, a lot of the ptarmigan, ptarmigan will turn around and go, go back north and they'll find snow, but some of them stay there. Mm. Enough to make me and my dogs happy. And coincidentally, the shark tails have left the low country and are passing through there and stop there to uh, wait a while, I guess, before they move elsewhere, because I don't find them in the middle of winter, but they'll be there. And they'll be uh, in the grass that grows up there, and they'll be eating dwarf birch and, and blueberries that grow there. Mm. And that perfect timing was to find both. And those poor ptarmigan, they're, you know, there's little patches of snow here and there. Right. Nothing the size of a, of a football field, no, not even reaching that, that large, but you know, big patches of snow here and there. And, uh, you know, those poor birds, uh, I guess, didn't know where to find them. Because, uh, you know, one will look at the other and say, dude, man, you're all white. You're looking bad out here in this dark world. <laughs> yeah. They say, yeah, you are too. And then <laughs> and they move off. So uh, you want to hunt those patches of snow, but then I, I take them from there and then push them off just a little bit off the side of the ridge to a, a hillside of, of grass. I came out of there with shark tails and winter white ptarmigan in my bag it's uh, it's cool there's a mixed bag hunt for you yeah on that on that big day where you had where you had all the sharp tails get was there anything were their crops full of anything in particular or you just they were just kind of in that place can it connect okay no, can it connect they yeah. uh, they they came in there and they they they're just universal in the interior of alaska they they eat blueberries if, if you find a, a remote blueberry patch where in it where it looks in grassland or or you know little woods nearby mm-hmm. you can bet your last dollar that there'll be some sharp tails in there i had one place i used to hunt that they had a row a windrow of uh i called blueberry and you know my partner and i hadn't found any birds for this morning you know which was strange because it was a target rich place uh until they they got cattle in there and then not now we can't hunt birds but uh right, so let's go over to blueberry and we'd go into Blueberry, and <laughs> I mean, they were filled with them. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, the first bird I took this season, I, I took them to a, a, a little strip of aspen where there were some blueberries, and, uh, and a nice covey came out. And I, I took one and let the rest fly, but they were, his crop was loaded with blueberries. That's really cool. Good tasting birds. You wouldn't happen to know where a, where a guy could get a, his hands on a copy of your book, do you? <laughs> That's kind of a funny story. Well, maybe a sad <laughs> story, but uh, I was going to write another one. I want to write another one, but I'm not going to pay for it. And publishers are a little bit leery right now. And my own publisher for that book didn't even answer, he didn't even answer my emails. But uh, it's a dying business. There aren't that there aren't that many of us that read books, and uh, you know, the people from my age or my uh, time or we love books we covet them i, I can yeah. look around my office and i have bookshelves just loaded with them and uh, 
but that's not so anymore. And it's all internet. Yeah, well, you know what it is. It's yeah. Yep. Put your pictures on Instagram and write short stories. Even some of the magazines. If you look at the magazines now, they're they're thinner, shorter, and shorter. more ads. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough business. It's yeah, a lot of competition uh, all the way around. Uh, as a writer and photographer, there's a whole lot of competition, but yeah. I don't worry about it anymore. I'm a, I'm a lousy marketer. I could have done better at that business, but I'm happy doing what I do. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, it, it's tough. And, you know, Amazon carries my book, I guess. They, they have a copy here and yeah. now and then. And, I was going to say, yeah. I went and looked. I searched before I, before I called you up today, and I looked recently when Andy mentioned it, but there's Amazon doesn't have any available right now. And then I looked, and there's one copy of your book for sale on Abe's Books for $300. So that's uh that's You're indicative of, of the value in there, yeah. Three hundred. Three hundred dollars. That's what, what it's a... listed for, Jim. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know that my publisher, I could find him. He's got he's got cases of them in stock, but he's he's just tired of dealing with, you know, well an Amazon is I think I make thirty four cents on a book. I mean, so I <laughs> it's not like, you know, I it's not like when I sell a book on Amazon, I'm going out, you know, for prime rib, you know, it's like, <laughs> I better have other money, but <laughs> it's not even enough for the tip But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough business. And I sure, I mean, you know, I've got one, I've, I've got the beginnings of one in a file, in a folder right on my, you know, and I, I want to do another book and. Well, after the listeners hear this conversation, Jim, we're, the listeners and I are going to start a petition to get your next book made because I I need a copy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that on Facebook say, "Oh, you know, it's it's a common joke for me, especially with my photographer friends, because you'll look and somebody will show up and their photographs are lousy. You know, they they look reasonably good on Facebook, but they wouldn't print well anyplace, not even on a newspaper. But but you hear people like. Wow, your photographs are the greatest. You should do a book. And <laughs> and I get a lot of that, you know. And I said, well, I'm interested. Uh, how many of you are interested in buying a book from me? Because yeah. if I did a photo book, I would be really happy. I would have some words in there, but it would be mostly photos, you know, a, a tabletop book. Uh, would you pay 100 bucks for the book? Well, no. Yeah, okay. So it's expensive. <laughs> it's uh yeah, yeah. Yeah, really expensive. It, it's a gamble. And I know a lot of the guys are doing their own books. They're, you know, they're out of their own pocket. You know, you can have books done. Yeah, yeah self publishing all over the place, you know. And I have enough fishing, hunting, fly tying, whatever dog stuff in my garage now. I don't need 40 cases of books that I can't sell. But, if, <laughs> man, if I could sell them 300 bucks, it, there's a shark out there. Right. (laughs) I've got, I've only got two copies myself. Well, you could make a quick 600, Jim. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'll I'll let it, no, 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 I don't want to be greedy. 250, 258. (laughs) (laughs) A hell of a deal. A hell of a deal. Yeah, maybe I ought to buy some cases. The last time my my publisher and I talked, he said, do you want to buy several cases? And I said, no, (laughs) but... Uh, now I, might, I might have to look up this publisher of yours. <laughs> yeah, he's the. Uh, I'll tell you, the checks that come in are, are rather pitiful. Yeah, anybody <laughs> thinks they're going to get wealthy off of writing a bird hunting book is crazy. But uh, well, they're just better writers than I am. But uh, uh, 
you know, there's been some good, good books come out, you know, and Tim Flanagan yeah. did one that I'm happy for him. I'm also a little jealous. I wish, I wish I could have done something like that too, but it's, it's just, it's not going to happen for me, but I don't know. I just, uh, I just keep taking photographs of wherever I am and whatever I'm doing and write a little story here and there. And, uh, I get by, I guess. And, uh, Keeps me busy. Yeah, it, indeed uh, it does. Well, Jim, I, I I know you don't need me to tell you this, but but keep doing it. Keep up the great work. I I enjoy it. Love seeing your photographs when you write something. I I like to read it. And one of these days, I will get my hands on a copy of your book. But I got to wrap this up. I I cannot thank you enough for joining me on another episode of the podcast. This episode is going to come out the day before I leave for my first sharp tail hunt of the season. And I cannot wait. And you've, you've only, uh, you've only got me more excited for it. So I thank you for that, Jim. Oh, it's been my pleasure. And, uh, you're going to have a lot of fun. This, this, everything about this bird hunting stuff is just nothing but fun. You know, plenty of action, uh, the yeah. love of the dogs. I mean, all that stuff, the birds are magnificent. Their habitat. Yeah. You're going to have fun. Good for you. You bet, Jim. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate it. And uh, you have a great season yourself. You go enjoy the rest of your September. Hey, we're at the beginning of September, Jim. I know it's crazy, but you're going to have a great September yourself. Oh, yes, I am. You just stay tuned. (laughs) All right, Jim. Well, thanks again. Take care. You have a great weekend, and we'll keep in touch. We'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. See ya. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Birdshot Podcast presented by Onyx Hunt, Final Rise, and Upland Gun Company. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. And if you really love the show and want to contribute above and beyond what you already do by listening, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash birdshot. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode of the Birdshot Podcast. Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.